Blog Talk Radio. People tell real stories of addiction and recovery. My name is Amanda, I'm also known as Mandy, and you'll know why I'm telling you that in a few minutes. I am joined tonight by my co-host, Jean. Hello, Jean. How are you tonight? I'm good. Hi, Amanda Mandy. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> I had to say that because, uh, well, we'll see. Um, and Catherine has the night off tonight, so um, we're sending her sober love over the airways. And Ellie is actually live on the phone with us, but um, on mute she'll be live tweeting the show, so we're sending her love as well. Um, tonight is a speaker meeting, and in honor of Father's Day, we are having a special guest on the show, my father, Frank. Hi, Dad. Welcome to the Bubble Hour. Hi. How you doing? Good. Good. Um, so the reason why I said my name is Mandy is because that's why it, what my dad calls me, and um, so I I didn't want anyone getting confused throughout the show because I don't think I could get him to call me Amanda to say his life, and that just wouldn't be real. So um, in the title of the show, we mentioned that alcoholism is a family disease. I did some research to prepare for this show and found that the link isn't really understood, but there is definitely a connection. There is a lot of research that shows that alcohol runs in families, both from a genetic and an environmental perspective. That does not mean that if one or both of your parents are alcoholics, you are destined to become one as well. It does mean that you may be more predisposed to drink and abuse alcohol than others. That is not to cast blame on the parent if a child becomes an alcoholic. I certainly don't blame my dad at all. Um, It is still the child's choice if they decide to drink that first drink. But I think it's important that we talk about this because if you are listening to this show, there is a good chance you are an alcoholic. And if you have children, I encourage you to have an open dialogue with your children, when the time is right, of course, about the risks that they have when it comes to alcohol. My dad and mom did talk to me. But I'll let my dad tell you about that. So, if you have listened to the show before, you may have heard me mention that my biological father was an alcoholic who died from this disease. I am only pointing that out because of the nature versus nurture aspect of the disease. Frank, the man that I call my dad, and our guest tonight, is my stepfather. He raised me as his own since I was five years old and is the best dad that a girl could ever hope hope for. When I got, he got sober when I was 22 or 23 and has been an inspiration to me my whole life. So happy Father's Day, Dad. Thank you again for being on the show tonight. Um, and I'd like to start by having you tell us a bit about yourself and your recovery journey. All right. Well, uh, I can start a little bit at the beginning. I think uh, the first time I got a legitimate buzz 
I was nine and a half or ten years old, and I drank a whole Little Nick beer. But before that, I used to sneak sips of beer from glasses at parties, and I loved the taste of it. But I, when I had got that first legitimate buzz, that's what I knew I was after. And there wasn't any question about, oh, I love the taste of a nice cold beer on a hot day. It was, boy, I like feeling screwed up. You know, and that's <laughs> altering my uh, perception of things was my goal from then on, really. If I look back on it realistically, I mean... Uh, it wasn't that I felt like pressure or unwanted or lonely. I mean, I had a great childhood. The teen years were pretty good, you know. And uh, But there was just something about being buzzed that I liked a lot. Uh, red flags. I mean, there was always a few indicators. I, ne- I never drank just to have a beer ever in my whole life that wasn't my goal i always drank to get you know as drunk as i could as fast as i could and uh you know i it it was just a way of life and then the party started you know we got to be somewhat around legal age and it was the you know the floodgates just opened I basically drank myself out of three colleges. Um, I was pretty talented academically, but that didn't seem to matter to me. You know, it wasn't what I wanted. I just wanted to get a job, be a regular working guy, go down the bar at night, and just get as drunk as I could get, which is pretty much what I ended up doing. I mean, I, but I never used to miss work. That was always a point of honor. Because if you missed work because you were drinking, then you were an alcoholic. And uh, I didn't want to be an alcoholic. I thought that was wrong. So I always had that standard in my mind. But I used to, you know, drinking to me was like combat. It was very competitive. It's like I used to line drinks up on the bar in front of people and challenge them to drink it. And if they couldn't, I used to call them names. And it was really kind of a bullying aspect that I'm not very proud of now. But, uh, eh, you know, in the in the group I was in, nobody seemed to mind it that much. We all were uh, We were all drinking pretty much like that. Several guys along the way didn't make it. And then, uh, you know, I kept that up for quite a while. I got a motorcycle. I said, oh, I'm not going to drink when I when I ride the motorcycle. So my wife said, yeah, okay, yeah, right, we'll see. So the first, you know, couple of days, I only didn't have any drinks at all. The second night, maybe, I said, ah, a couple of beers won't kill me. So I had a couple of beers, and then, the fourth night, I had like four beers, and the sixth night, I had ten beers, and you know, by the end of a couple of weeks, I was like drinking, uh, drinking till I was inebriated, you know, and just riding the motorcycle like a mad, like a madman. And uh, life continued on like that. Time just flew by. 
I mean, and it, progressively I started getting worse. Oh, I didn't really seem to notice it because everybody I was hanging with, family, and, you know, uh, my wife's brothers had big parties and we all drank to excess and I was a star at that. You know, finally <laughs> found something I was good at. And then, uh, geez, I don't know, you know, uh, I finally got to a point where I, we went to Aruba on vacation and I went into a bar and I couldn't stop drinking. I just couldn't stop drinking. Finally, after you know, like an hour of threats, I finally left and I went back to the room and drank like a bunch of 151 rum and just kind of ruined the vacation. And then I uh, came home and I started working 24 hours a day in a restaurant in Cambridge, Massachusetts that had Guinness on tap, which is my favorite, favorite beer. I'd work down there 24 hours a day for like three or four days in a row and like, you know, drink Guinness the whole time I was working and progressively just head into the pit a little harder and it was really getting out of control then. And then uh, finally we went down one night to get paid for that job and uh, met with a bunch of guys that worked on the job and we all had pockets full of money. Ended up like, you know, drinking like crazy, then we went home and smoked some pot and took some pills and I drove home and I got stopped by the cops, which had happened oh, I don't know, conservatively two hundred times. I had been stopped <laughs> by the cop like oh things were a little different back then, you know, they were a little easier on things. But they also didn't want any trouble with me because I'm rather large and kind of aggressive sometimes. So that was the night that I got arrested, and uh, I said, you're not going to let me go to the cop? And he said, no. He says, this could be the luckiest night of your life. I goes, well, it sure doesn't feel like it. But it was. It was the luckiest night of my life. That's, uh, I went to court the next day, lost my license for 60 days, rode a bicycle to work, you know, 30 miles up to where I was working and then seven or eight miles every day to work. And then uh, the whole time I was thinking in the back of my head, well, I'm just going to quit drinking until I can straighten out and uh, and drink like a gentleman, whatever that means. Not knowing that I was completely incapable of that. I still hadn't realized that. So part of my aftercare from the drunk driving charges was I had to go for a weekend at uh, at Beach Hill uh, Recovery Place. It's a place in Dublin, New Hampshire. It was what they called drunk school with a bunch of other people in similar situations. We couldn't get our licenses back until we had completed the training there. And... Uh, that was my first exposure to like recovery meetings. I uh, I had never been to one. I had often joked about them. I knew people that had gone to them. I knew knew several people that had several years of sobriety. And uh, but I didn't think it was for me. I just wanted to get back to normal drinking. So I went to these meetings 
and I talk, listen to the people. I really listen to the people for some reason. It just struck a resonant chord with me. And then I, uh, I got the message they were putting out. And then I went to my first recovery meeting. And there was a bunch of people from Cape Cod. And the first speaker was a 16-year-old girl from Cape Cod. And I'm sitting there wondering. I'm saying, you know, what can this girl tell me? A 16-year-old girl, what can she tell me that would make any sense to me? We're totally different people. Then she started talking about, like, loneliness and feeling, like, left out and, you know, like an emptiness, this emptiness she had that she was trying to fill with drugs and alcohol. I knew what she was talking about. It made perfect sense to me. And as my aftercare, I had an exit interview with a counselor, and she told me, she goes, well, you're one of the lucky ones. She goes, I'm going to give you uh, 24 recovery meetings in eight weeks. You have to go to three a week and get your card signed and then submit it to your parole officer, our probation officer. So I started going to our recovery meetings. And uh, at first, I was kind of lost in them. I didn't really know anything about this segment of society. So I, uh, the first one I went to, I, I went down to this church basement where I always heard they were. And it was like a little table set up with cupcakes and coffee. And there was like six people in there. And I said, no, this is about what I expect. So I'm sitting there waiting for the thing to start. And a woman came in. She goes, the minister will be down pretty soon. I goes, is this the recovery meeting? And she said, oh, no, that's up in the big hall. There's plenty of people that go to that. So I went upstairs, <laughs> and there was like 150 people in this hall. <laughs> like, people were laughing and joking and having fun. And, and then all of a sudden the meeting started, you know, and it's like it wasn't anything like I expected. But the real turning point, I think, was when I went to a, I found a good a meeting that was made just for me over in Lincoln, Massachusetts. And uh, I met a bunch of people there. And after the meeting, they pulled me into the kitchen and gave me stuff to do. They gave me a job and they talked with me after the meeting. And uh, that's how I started blending in. And and in a little while, I was running that meeting for nine years. And then I passed it on. I moved to Vermont, and I passed it on to a really good friend of mine who I still stay in touch with. And uh, I made so many friends through that meeting and other meetings. And then, uh, then you know, uh, it's added big dimensions to my life. Like if I was still drinking at the rate I was drinking at the end there, I'd be dead by now, or I'd be in jail. And I wouldn't have been able to, like, uh, you know, help my wife through the last years of her life and things like that, or help Amanda through uh, her troubles. So it was important to me to be sober, you know, just for those reasons, and for myself, you know. I felt much better about myself being sober than when I was drunk. So uh, 
Well, that's, you guys still live? Yeah, we're yeah. here. I'm I'm sitting here oh. smiling, listening to your story, Frank. I just want to thank yeah. you and Amanda both so much for for helping us celebrate Father's Day by coming together and telling your story for us and our listeners because it's it's really really wonderful to to hear this side of of. Um, Amanda's life and and understand the impact that we have from one generation to another and to really celebrate the way that we support one another and and it all starts with your story which is amazing. So I'm wondering now as we talk a little bit more um we all know your daughter here is in recovery and um our listeners know Amanda's story pretty well. So I think we're all really curious about your perspective on Amanda before Amanda got sober, were there times where you were worried about her drinking? Oh yeah, I could tell she was <laughs> on the way. <laughs> I could, you know, and, she was she was a horrible drunk when she got <laughs> buzzed. It was terrible. She is very, very willful and uh, mouthy. <laughs> And uh, you just you just couldn't you know make any sense to her, and she was just obnoxious sometimes. <laughs> Amanda, but you, but it's hard you to beat on because anymore it's against the law. <laughs> so you spoke about that emptiness that that sixteen year old in a meeting talked about emptiness, and that really resonated with you. Did you see that emptiness? Oh yeah. In Amanda too, and how did you feel knowing oh, yeah. that she was oh, yeah. going through that? Yeah. How did that make you feel? No. Oh, I just wanted to help, but I mean, I also realized, you know, through years and years of exposure and talking and in meetings and other places, you know, uh, that there's not really much you can do until the person who's, you know, suffering decides to turn their life around. I mean, you can be there and encourage them, but a lot of times that falls on deaf ears, especially if they're stubborn. And uh, she was stubborn. And, uh, you know, it's kind of heartbreaking to watch someone hurting themselves like that, but you have to believe in, in like, you know, I had to believe in Amanda. You know, I had to believe that she would find her way, that she would, because uh, she's such a smart kid and she's so much fun, that uh, she would be able to straighten her life out and get the idea of being sober it, uh, and surrender. I mean, it's a hard thing to do when you're stubborn to surrender. Believe me, I know. And... Uh, Frank, I'm yeah. curious, how did go, go ahead. ahead. Well, I'm oh, curious how you how did you show your support for her without telling her what to do or giving her ultimatums? How how does that look to support someone and sort of live out the solution for them but not tell them what to do? Was that did you well, find uh, it hard to do that? Yeah, it's kinda hard, but I mean you talk to them. 
and you say to them, uh, you know, I think you're heading for a problem. There's a lot of people in our family that, you know, have a similar problem. I have had the same problem, and I know a solution to it. You know, if you ever need any help with it, please, please let me know, and I'd be glad to help you no matter what it takes. And my wife was talking to her all the time about it, too, uh, saying, you know, you definitely have a problem and you have to do something about it before it really affects your life. But, you know, then my wife died and it really kind of kicked Amanda over the edge. Amanda, do you remember those? Do you remember those conversations, Amanda? Oh yeah, I do. Yeah, we. I I mean, there were quite a few, and you know, I have to say that um, my dad handled things and my mom the best that they could. You know, I I was as stubborn as could be, and you know, I really did think that I had it under control. And I remember I would always say, "Yeah, I'm watching my drinking," Um, or "Yeah, you know, I I got this." You know, I'm drinking less. It was. Um, but I knew, and I knew, um, I had known from a very, for a very long time, and so, you know, I just, I, I wanted to please my parents more than anything in the world, and I, I just didn't know how to do it, and it was, it's really kind of weird, like, now that I'm sober, because I look back, and, I mean, you know, here I had this perfect example of someone who, um, well, just to back up a little bit, my dad was, like, the fun guy, and I, you know, I remember it was probably at, right after one of the vacations, you know, like there was a Thanksgiving and the whole fam, both sides of the family were over. And, you know, like he said, our family was, you know, there was a lot of big drinkers. And I was, I don't know, it was kind of like my my first, I think I was 21, you know, finally able to drink. And, you know, I wasn't going anywhere. So, you know, my parents didn't have a problem with me drinking. And, yeah, you know, my dad was mixing these crazy rum punch drinks, you know, that he had learned how to make when he was on when they were on vacation because they used to go to the Caribbean every year, and um and you know with topping it off with 151, and you know, and everyone got drunk. There's like this classic picture of one of my aunts with my grandmother, and you know, I mean, everyone just had a great time and it was a fun night. And I was like, okay, this is what life is all about. And I was so excited. You know, to, that's that's like what I thought drinking was all about, and mm-hmm. <laughs> that was probably the, one of the last times that I had fun drinking. But what was interesting is when my dad got sober, I didn't know what to do with it. I was like, you know, I would go up to him, and I was, you know, we talk about, you know, people who don't understand, and I would go up to him, and I'd be like, well, you're you're not going to drink. You know, what do you mean you're not going to drink? You know, that's no fun. And I just, I, I. I couldn't fathom it, and I used to ask, like, I, you know, just thinking about someone newly sober and you have your kid, like, I was almost pressuring him to drink, you know, like, why aren't you drinking? You're no fun, and he's like, I'm having plenty of fun without drinking, and and I could see that he was, but for some reason, it, it just, I couldn't imagine it. I, it just couldn't sink in, so here I had this perfect role model for me, and, and uh, you know, it just it just took what it took. I guess, and you know, and especially you know when you know, like you said, when I my, when my mom got sick and we got the news that they, you know, she had been sick for a few years, but we got the news that she wasn't. They were there was nothing else that they could do, and they put her on hospice care. 
I really just fell apart. I I came apart at the seams, and you know I was trying to hold it together, and I I just did not not know how to handle that at all, and um, it was hard. It was really hard. I I do wish, you know, I had actually when I found out the day I found out, I got drunk and got myself arrested for uh, my second DUI, and it was um, something that. I was arrested, and I needed to go see my mom every weekend because she was sick, and I didn't have a license, and so I, you know, I um, I had, you know, friends and family that brought me up to Vermont every week, and I had to, like, hide from my father. It, like, there was nothing worse, nothing would have been worse to me at that time in my life than for my father to know that I had been arrested for drinking and that my drinking was out of control. Like, it was it was so bad. I was trying so hard to hide it because it was, I don't know, it was just really, really a tough time for me. You Frank, know, what do you then, remember you know, about that? What do you remember about finding out about that situation, she Fernanda? She did it pretty well. She hid the, she hid the, the uh, loss of license pretty well. I didn't have a clue until... Uh, one of her, one of uh, my wife's friends ratted her out. <laughs> uh, and I was furious. <laughs> yeah, this girl Carla told me she goes, you know, Mandy doesn't have a license. She didn't want you to know because Carla can't keep a secret. So it was like a perfect spy for me, you know. But uh, <laughs> I go, oh really? She goes, yeah, drunk driving. Uh, yeah, oh. she's really in trouble. And that must and have been a, a pretty sad time, okay. uh, extra burden during a really sad time already. Often yeah. pressure it, like it, a... It was all meshed together, like, you know, it was hard to differentiate the events. Yeah. You know, I'm, there's just a lot going on that it was really sad. And did you I feel like your sobriety was threatened during that time because, the you know, the no. difficulty of your wife being sick like that, you felt solid in your recovery. And did looking out for Amanda you know, kind of help you stay solid too? Day I, the day I put down the drink, I just kind of knew that I wouldn't ever pick it up again. Hmm. I mean, I, that's kind of arrogant, but that's the way I felt. I don't ever have to drink again. And I was really relieved. I was so happy to stop drinking because I had had enough. I had had enough. I had drank everything under the sun, and I just didn't want to drink anymore. Mm -hmm. The hangovers were horrible. The, you know, trying to remember what I did and the stuff I was pulling, you know, it was like, it was really getting bad. So I I was just really relieved to stop drinking, and I never looked back. Yeah. One one of our listeners one of our listeners asked us to ask you, Frank, um, if you could share what some of the things were that you felt that you did right in helping Amanda and what you might do differently, um, if you could, when you talk to Amanda about her drinking. Well, I mean everything you know offering support to her. I mean, I think that's the right thing to do. Just let her know that no matter what, that we loved her and that we'd be there for her. 
you know, and that we did know a way to uh, to live a sober life. I mean, I think that's a, the only right thing you can do. Mm-hmm. The other stuff, um, you know, I mean, none of it really works until the person themselves decides that they don't want to drink anymore. And you must have laid a pretty good foundation because Amanda has talked on this show before about how you were the first one to walk in the door for her intervention, and she immediately agreed to get help. So what was it like for you when you got that call from her friend saying that she needed help? Oh, I knew it was coming. I knew I didn't know she was going to have an intervention, but I knew she'd have to get help. It, you know, all she had all the signs. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was pretty obvious by then. And uh, you know, when I walked through that door, I was, you know, I wasn't going to take no for an answer. <laughs> she was Amanda. Pretty, uh, one way. Amanda, what well, what do you remember about that? What was it like for you seeing your dad at your front door that day? <laughs> Well, I had no idea, and my dad lives four hours away, by the way. Um, So, (laughs) you know, I certainly didn't think he was coming over there, and um, I had gone to court that morning. I had been arrested the day before, which was a Sunday, so I had gone to court that morning, and I was basically there with my um, ex-boyfriend, was there with me, and... um, the, my aunt had said, you know, I want to stop by and talk to you, like, and um, which I think is the only thing that may have kept me in the house. Or, or I was like, I don't want any company. I just want to be left alone. I, I of course, not, that's not what kept me in the house. But so I was there, and I was just feeling I absolutely hated myself. And um, and the doorbell rings, and I opened the door and saw my father, and I was like, oh crap. I'm done. That's it. It's over. You know, like, the jig is up. I'm found out. That's it. And I was like, and I, I remember I said, and I was like, what is this, an intervention or something? And he said, just sit down and shut up. And um, <laughs> you'll, you'll, you'll find you'll find out soon enough. And, um, and so it was pretty obvious to me, like, other people were coming and you know I guess they were all at Dunkin Donuts and they were afraid to confront me I mean everyone was afraid to confront me except for my father of course um, because I was just so friggin stubborn I defended my right to drink fiercely and um, so him and I chatted even though he told me to shut up of course I didn't (laughs) and and I was like I I will I'll get help so then they walked in the door, and, I, and so as soon as they walked in, I was like, I'll go, don't worry, I'll go. <laughs> and, um, and they just sat down, and, and and so, you know, then the rest of the evening was just us talking about, you know, what the options were and, you know, that this was a good, you know, everyone just reinforcing that they loved me and this was, you know, they were proud that I was going to get help and it was the best thing that I could do. and. It's kind of weird because, you know, I guess, you know, I got this from my dad and I kind of feel the same way. I was just that, you know, once that decision was made, I was terrified. I was crying. I had no idea what to expect. 
but I was done. I just completely surrendered. I was so sick of drinking. I was so miserable. I was just absolutely done. And and I still feel that way. Like I just I I just I I drank every drink that I needed to drink to get sober. Like I just uh, I and and then some. And um you know, it's been pretty amazing ever since. And actually, uh, you know, I just want to add one one thing that my dad did do that when his uh, friend, um, when my mom's friend Carla ratted me out, it was about uh, four months after my mom had died. So my mom passed away. Two months later, my, my um, husband asked me for a divorce, and I moved in with my aunt, and I was sleeping on her couch, you know, because that's what a 39-year-old, no, I was, uh, oh, at that time, I was 39. You know, that's normal for a 39-year-old. And my dad, um, you know, she ratted me out, and I was, I was, I was more than pissed. I think I might have even stormed out of the restaurant. I don't remember because I had been drinking that night too. And then my dad, I talked to my dad, and he convinced me to go to that meeting that he was talking about his home group in Lincoln. And so just to appease him, I had no intention of stopping drinking. Now, mind you, no license. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> I had no intention of stopping drinking. And so I went to the meeting with him, and he introduced me to his friend that he was talking about. And he said he would give me a ride any time. And, you know, he worked near my work. And so I think I went, like, two more times after that. And then I was like, you know what, I'm all set. Um, I got this. I, you know, I got my drinking under control. I'm not going crazy anymore. Now, mind you, I think during that same time that I didn't have a license, I managed to get myself PC'd because I I got drunk at a bar and took a cab home and got in an argument with the cab driver. I mean, I was just, I was so, I was so bad. That last year and a half of my drinking was just hell, absolute what hell. What does PC and it was mean? Me, uh, protective custody. <laughs> Oh, so the, <laughs> Amanda. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah I know. <laughs> not politically correct. No. <laughs> no, I I knew it couldn't have been politically correct. <laughs> no. Um, and, and, it's I mean, interesting. It, but, I go ahead, Amanda. Oh no, go ahead. I I hear both of you say the exact same thing, which is that sobriety was a relief. And I wonder yes. if if you absorbed that attitude because it had been demonstrated for you. Like, it, Do you think it's no coincidence that you both share that same perspective on drinking? Have you ever thought about that, Amanda? You know, I I have, and and I don't think it's a coincidence. It, you know, it. I wasn't, there was like, until I was ready, there was nothing that my father could say that would have, got me to stop drinking but once I did I was like okay I get it I get I get what I've been seeing because you know I think at that so at that point he was like uh probably 19 years sober or 18 years sober um so I had seen this my whole life and you know here it was you know like I said the guy that was like the life of the party he was still the life of the party you know, nothing had changed. He was still, except for he was a better person. Like, I, he actually, you know, nothing changed except for in a good, you know, in a good way. 
Like, I actually liked being around him more. Um, not that, I mean, he was a great dad. And, and um, you know, when he um, when he got sober, it was kind of a surprise to me because most of his drinking was outside of the house. You know, like he said, he was a bar drinker. And so I never thought of him as an alcoholic, although there were certainly incidents that happened that were definitely like, okay, this is out of control. You know, there was... Um, you know, a few times, you know, one time, actually, this is kind of funny. I got up in the morning, and um, my dad, that you know, I go outside to leave, and my dad's in the passenger seat of the car with a bloody nose. And I go in the house, I'm like, Mom, what's Dad doing in the car? And she's like, he tried to drive last night, so I knocked him out. And <laughs> did this. <laughs> You have to understand, like, my dad's, like, 6'4", 300 pounds, but, like, big lumberjack-looking guy. And my mom was, like, 125, 5'8", like, skinny as a rail. And I'm like, you knocked my dad out. <laughs> like, wow. <laughs> um, but, you know, um, but so I, I do think I got a lot of that just um, from, uh, you know, seeing him and, you know, living a happy life. I mean, they were so much happier after they you know they were always happy but they were so much happier after he stopped drinking and just really lived their life like you know really followed their dreams and achieved so many things and um you know so it did it set an example for me and I was like and then you know when I first got sober too I would call him every day and you know I'd just be like this is the coolest thing ever like you know, I you know I you know today is day you know day seven and I'm so excited and or you know I I I just really I, I just I was thrilled it was such a relief and and you know I remember having conversations like oh my god I finally get it this is so cool and you know and you know but then life happens too and you know I had. I had some really difficult times early in my sobriety. You know, that boyfriend that I was with broke up with me, and it was it was kind of weird. You know, you want to talk about, like, you know, a higher power or someone looking out for you. My dad um, was down visiting for the weekend. Um, he actually picked me up because I had just gone away for um, the two-week mandatory program that I had to do for my drunk driving. So it was an inpatient two-week program, which was pretty about as close to jail as I've come, and it was a lot like similar to jail. And uh, my dad surprised me and picked me up from that, which was great. Um, and so he brought me home, and he was hanging out at the house with me, and I was all excited, you know, to be home, and I was going to see my boyfriend and have a date. So my dad like made him made himself scarce and went and, and did something with a friend locally. And um, what happened is my boyfriend came over and broke up with me. And so here I am. I was 89 days sober. And I absolutely flipped out. And the first person I called was my dad. And he was actually, he had gone down to Connecticut. So he was about an hour and a half away. But he drove home immediately and was just there for me. And, um, you know, and helped me get through that. And, you know, and gave me a lot of encouragement. You know, it's just like, you know, this is life you know, this is, you know, life is going to happen and, you know, and drinking over this isn't going to make it better. And and uh, for whatever reason, I don't know if it was just because he was there or just because that I had already gotten to that point. Like, I didn't even think about drinking over it. I was, I cried for a month and a half or two months straight. But, 
you know, it was it was pretty cool, like having, you know, him and all and Ellie, you know, having you know the people closest to me in my life in sobriety. It was you know so helpful. Yeah, I I think we might be getting requests from our listeners to have Frank adopt them. I think we would all like to have <laughs> a big teddy bear of a father who could shepherd us through those tender, hard, early days, especially of recovery. But, Frank, I get the feeling that you are really honored to, to be there for Amanda in this role. Oh, I just, uh, I would do anything for her. Aww. She's the nicest kid ever. She's a really good egg. Oh, You've done good. <laughs> yeah. We all love that girl. Yeah. And oh, so what's it like for you to to be in recovery together? How do you feel about going oh, through so this process fun. with your daughter? So much fun. You see, uh, I I and what have you learned about each other? Your friend. Huh? Yeah. I'm wondering what you've learned about each other. Oh, I don't know if we learned anything. You know, I'm kind of sick. I don't learn fully, but uh, I get to meet all of her friends, and you know, in her recovery meetings, and uh, she gets to meet some of mine. And I'm really proud of all the work she's doing, all the work you girls are doing on the show. I, mean, I guess you can't call you girls anymore, you women. <laughs> you can call us that. <laughs> no, that's not protective custody. But uh, yeah, I think it's great, you know. It's just such a load off my mind to feel like this and be happy. You know, I mean, she's still got a few flaws, believe it or not. (laughs) uh, Um, (laughs) Could we um, could we ask uh, you what those are? (laughs) Well, we'll save that for another show. I'm not going to tell you. I'll let you let her tell. You know. Her flaws, she can tell you about them as she wants. But, uh, you know, but, uh, yeah, it's it's been a blast for me, really. It's what, this is what, you know, the promises, you know, are all about, you know. But if you just keep working at it and working at it, staying sober, then good things will come to your life. You know, and I firmly believe that's true. It's worked on my life. I mean, life still happens, but, you know, it's a lot sweeter. Oh, that's beautiful. Amanda, what are your thoughts about being in recovery together with your dad? Oh, I think, you know, to me it's great. I mean, there's, um, you know, I guess, you know, partially because I was drinking and partially, you know, so... We didn't really know what to say each other to each other all the time. I mean, we've always gotten along. We've always hung out and stuff like that. But now that we're both in recovery, I feel like we talk about a lot more, like we're a lot closer. Um, and it's just cool. You know, <clears throat> like you said, um, he, you know, he usually comes, you know, he's come down every time that I've gotten um, uh, celebrated a year um, you know, another milestone in my recovery, and you know, I've had the opportunity to give him um, a coin to celebrate his recovery. So, you know, every time he yeah. comes down for his meeting, I I try to go with him, and I think it's you know, it's it's cool. You know, there's you know, he's set a good example for me. I remember um, 
when he was living down here and he was the coffee maker for his meeting, I remember one of the times the meeting was on Christmas Eve, which was always a big time for my family. And, um, you know, my mom's like, oh, we're going, you know, your, your dad's got his meeting to go to. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, you can't miss Christmas Eve. And she's like, well, you know, this is his priority. He goes to that before he does anything else. So, you know, I learned, you know, I saw that. I didn't know what it meant at the time, but I know what it means now. And, um, you know, that commitment that he had. And he also did other things and it was funny. My dad's always been a great person and a great father, and I'm, you know, I'm very fortunate. And, um, you know, but he he was doing stuff like he'd go help out at the soup kitchens on Thanksgiving and stuff like that. And I, it, it was just different than, you know, he was always a nice person, but I never saw him do those type of things before. You know, he got into mm-hmm. sobriety, and I thought it was really cool. And you know, he's, he, you know you know, taught me a lot. He's always taught me to be a good person and, and um to be ethical and to treat people well and, you know, and to work hard and, you know, it's all, you know, so teaching me about, you know, staying sober and, um, you know, it's it's kind of like this whole thing where they talk about, you know, alcoholism, you know, runs in families and I, I do believe that's true. I, 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 you know, I could have not drank, but that probably wasn't going to happen because I couldn't wait to drink when I was young. <laughs> and, and um, you know, being, you know, it's 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 also great, you know, so that does happen, that's life. And, I mean, it happens whether, you know, people become alcoholics, whether or not their parents are alcoholics, you know. It, it's, it's kind of a, you have a 50-50 shot, right? And, you know, but being able to have a parent that you respect and admire in recovery and, you know, to lead, you know, lead by example to have someone to follow and, you know, that life can get better is really helps so much. Well, this whole conversation has just been so beautiful and so inspiring and I think not only are we all a little bit um I wouldn't say jealous. I'm going to say admiring of your relationship. But I think, Frank, I think you really inspire those of us that are parents um, and knowing that our kids, you know, have the genetics for this, that you're really showing us um, you're being a really great role model to us on on how to to go forward with our own children. So I thank you for that. And and I'm just so grateful to both of you for sharing your stories tonight because... It's a it's a really beautiful way for us to celebrate Father's Day and celebrate recovery. Jean, Jean, thanks very much, but don't go putting a halo on my head, all right? (laughs) (laughs) I can't reach that high. I've seen how tall you are. (laughs) (laughs) So usually as we kind of, we're coming close to the end of our hour here, and as we round out the end of the show, we usually kind of take, like to just take a moment and each of us reflect on the conversation and and share what our, our takeaway is from everything we've heard and shared. And I can tell you as, as um, you know, the third person, the third wheel listening in on your private conversation here, um, I just, I hear the admiration you have for each other and I can hear that both of you 
enhance each other's recovery and add a lot of joy. Where it's already good, I think you both take each other's recovery from good to great. And I just really, I just have so much respect and and pride to just be in this conversation with you. So um, I'm just really grateful and really admiring that. And Amanda, what's your takeaway from listening in on this or, or sharing in this conversation tonight? Well, first, thank you, Jean, and thanks, Dad, for coming on tonight. I really appreciate it. And um, I learned a little bit about you, which is always cool. Um, I I just, I, you know, I, uh, this has been great, I, and I hope it helps people. You know, I experience this, you know, on a daily basis, you know, having this relationship with my father, and it's it's just really cool. Um, and, um, you know, I guess, you know, just to the parents that are out there, you know, I, 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 you know, I hope this inspires you to just, you know, you don't, you know, I'm not saying when your child's three year old, three years old, say, you know, you, you can never drink, um, but I think, and I don't, and I don't think it's helpful to tell, to tell your children, you know, you can't drink, um, but you can share with them, which is what my father did, you know, share with them that you um, have had troubles with alcohol and that they may need to be careful themselves. And I think, you know, that's just a, it's a huge gift that that you can give them Um, because even though it took me quite a while, you know, my dad said enough things along the way that it was always in the back of my mind. So, you know, I I went down kicking and screaming, and it took me, you know, it took me years to get there. But, you know, that seed was always there, and I I was always thinking about it. So if you think your children aren't listening, which I'm sure my dad thought, I did not hear anything that he was saying to me, but I did. And I just, it it just took me a a while, because I am really stubborn, you know, to to finally give in and surrender. And I am so grateful for that, and I'm so greatly grateful to be on this journey with my dad. Um, and I love you, Dad. And now you're stubbornly sober. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right now you're stubborn about about sobriety. That's awesome. And Frank, actually, Jean, I just you, have to throw that in there. There was a, a coworker of mine when I first got sober. She's a really good friend of mine. She said, and I, I guess. I'm more stubborn than I realized because she said to me, <laughs> if you can just be as as stubborn about not drinking as you are about everything else, you'll be just fine. <laughs> you got this. Uh, Frank, you have the last word on... Um on tonight's show. Yeah, I, was are, just, uh, I was just looking back I was looking back on some of the notes and uh you say you get a lot of questions from people who are wondering, Am I an alcoholic? Uh, what would I say to someone like that? I'd say uh go to a meeting. You'd be surprised at the people there and how friendly they are and you could ask them all kinds of questions. You know, any kind of a recovery meeting and just uh if you're really concerned about something like that, chances are, you know, we might have some problem areas. And anybody at a meeting could probably help you with it or direct it to someone that could help you with it. Uh, so that that would be my recommendation on that. Uh, oh, as far great. as tonight goes, I really enjoyed this a lot. 
You know, it's always nice to talk to my daughter, and then nice talking to you, Jean. Nice talking to you, Frank. (laughs) And I really like Ellie, too. Ellie's like one of the old neighborhood kids. Yeah, she's a good egg, too. Yep. Yeah, she is. Ellie, you can tweet that. We love you. Well, All right, Amanda. well, I will um, uh, wrap up the show, or did okay. you have something else? <laughs> no, I just I just want to give you a big, huge high five, because you kind of had this idea um, at the last minute to do this. Well, not the last minute, but, you know, a few days ago, you just had this epiphany that we should celebrate Father's Day by doing this, and I just love it. So thank you so much for making this happen, and it's really it's really an honor to, to be part of this with you both. So I'll leave you with that oh. and, and let you close out. Well, thank you so much, Jean, and thank you so much for being a part of the show. When um, when we when I came up with this idea and we went back and forth on how to handle it, Jean was like, oh, just the two of you talking. I was like, well, I can hear dead air <laughs> because... <laughs> It's it's just hard, you know, asking, you know, asking or starting the conversations. We talk very openly, um, you know, all the time. But it's it's kind of like, you know, how do we, you know, how do we have a conversation that can also be helpful to other people? So I really appreciate you being a part of the show and um, and you know helping us, you know, have this conversation because it was really cool for me um, and clearly for my dad too. So I really appreciate it. And, oh, my um, pleasure. So, thank you, thank you, thank you. And um, so, yes, we we are out of time, so I'm going to close the show uh, as we do uh, each show. We'd like to direct you to our parent organization, which is ShiningStrong.org. There you will find links to all of our resources, including the Bubble Hour and Crying Out Now and other initiatives around recovery advocacy. Visit the Bubble Hours website at thebubblehour.com to find a link to many recovery resources, including Jean's blog, Unpickled, and Ellie's blog, One Crafty Mother. Our email address is thebubblehour at gmail.com, and you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, Twitter. Um, Please let us know your feedback about tonight's show and any other topic suggestions that you may have. And we thank you all for listening to the Bubble Hour and hope you have a great evening. Good night, Jean. Good, Good night, night, Dad. Happy, happy Father's, Father's Day. Day again. Night. I love you. Night. <laughs> all right. Bye. Bye.